We are in the seventh month of the coronavirus pandemic, and many nations, as well as states across the U.S., are beginning to open larger segments of their economies, and in some instances, pushing pause where there's a surge in cases. Public officials and companies are applying the lessons they've learned so far and planning for what comes next. I'm Eric Gustafson, Chief Public Affairs Officer at Marsh & McLennan, and welcome to the Marsh & McLennan Advantage, a podcast featuring insights from the leading professional services firm in the areas of risk strategy and people. In our last episode, we examined some possible long-term impacts of COVID-19. Now we'll look at the immediate response to the pandemic from one of the U.S. states hardest hit by the pandemic, California. Sam Glick, a partner in Oliver Wyman's Health and Life Sciences practice, spoke with Dr. Alice Chen, Deputy Secretary for Policy and Planning at the California Health and Human Services Agency. They discussed California's response, the lessons they've learned so far, and whether a balancing act exists between public health and the economy, as well as the disease's impact across racial and ethnic groups. The coronavirus pandemic has presented our society with one of the greatest challenges in recent memory. Governments around the world and at every level are operating on a massive scale to stop the spread of COVID-19, treat the sick, and prepare our societies to transition safely back to something resembling a normal life. In order to wrap our heads around the government response, today we're talking about California's efforts to combat the virus and the related economic fallout. I'm Sam Glick, partner in the Health and Life Sciences practice at Oliver Wyman, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend, Dr. Alice Chen, Deputy Secretary for Policy and Planning at the California Health and Human Services Agency. Alice is gonna tell us a bit about the work she's been doing and about what the state of California has been doing uh, to protect 40 plus million Californians from COVID-19. Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Alice, you uh, took this job uh, by my count uh, about five or six months before COVID became a major crisis. Um, Tell me a bit about uh, how, how you came to be the Deputy Secretary for Policy and Planning and how you came to be involved in the COVID response. Of course. It, it really does seem like a lifetime ago. I joined the Newsom administration because it felt like a unique opportunity at the time to have a governor who was really interested in health and healthcare and um, affordability. And we were in a position where now... Uh, in retrospect, the tail end of um, the longest economic expansion in modern history, with the government finances being in a good place, there are a lot of um, innovative ideas and initiatives to try to move forward with healthcare transformation and, and making sure that healthcare serves uh, all Californians. Got it. And so how did you get involved in COVID? When uh, COVID um, appeared, obviously, it's unprecedented for everyone. Uh, it was all hands on deck. And so I think actually the first thing I was called to do was work on waiving cost sharing uh, for mm -hmm. COVID testing, which was very, very early on. And I think we were one of the very first states to do that. But rapidly, because of my background in health systems and delivery systems, got pulled into really planning for hospital surge, because that the most imminent and um, dire need at the time early in the pandemic when some of the modeling forecasts was showing just orders of magnitude of excess hospitalizations over our existing bed capacity. Got it. And then that evolved, as I know. What's the, what kind of work has your team been doing lately? You know, thank goodness that we haven't needed the excess capacity that we built. 
at the same time, we understand that, you know, we're not out of the woods. And so yeah. what has evolved is, so, at, so you know, as it became clear that California had successfully flattened the curve, we really weren't seeing uh, the excess mortality that you're seeing on the hospitalizations and mortality that we've seen in our sister states on the East Coast. We came up with the six indicator framework for how to move forward responsibly in reopening society. And, and those include efforts that, you know, have been just enormous lifts by really talented people working around the clock. So standing up sufficient testing, we have a testing task force, contact tracing, ability to protect our most vulnerable populations, particularly people in SNFs, but not just in SNFs, people who are in um, other congregate settings, homeless shelters, making sure that we actually still have a plan for hospital surge, keeping tabs on uh, what's happening in therapeutics, and then really doing very sector-specific guidance in terms of how to open things. And then overlaying that all, or maybe underpinning it all, is a group that's really looking at data metrics, data and what metrics we need to be following on a county and regional level to make sure that we're keeping tabs on things and can try to titrate up our NPIs up and down our uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions as the pandemic progresses and evolves. Got it. Got it. So where, where are we now in California? And I realize there may be one answer to that, given how diverse the state is. Exactly. You know, we talk about California being a nation state. And truly, I mean, if you just overlaid California on other parts of the state, we would span many different states. There are many different, and it is really variable. Some counties are very sparsely populated. We've had several counties that have not had any cases to date. Others, you know, particularly in the barrier early on and now in Southern California are really uh, dealing with quite high volumes of cases. Even within a county, there can be a variation. So where we are, I would say we're kind of in a liminal space right now. We're between, you know, we've averted the worst initial case scenario. We also know based on the science that as we start moving, the virus will spread and there will be more cases and more morbidity and mortality. And the question is, how do we do this in the most responsible way possible and also partner with our local counties and regions, because frankly, they in many ways are best situated to know what's going on on the ground. Yeah, I hope so. And I, and a lot of our listeners run businesses, some of them healthcare businesses, some of them not. What about the kind of private partnership part of that? If you, you know, you've got an audience here of CEOs of businesses of all sizes, what can they be doing to help combat COVID? On the private sector side in, in healthcare, again, I'll say that I've been really impressed by all of the hospitals that have really stepped up and uh, offered partnership in standing up alternate care sites, staffing, supplies, um, really trying to come together to serve community need. Um, also being thought partners in terms of data and policy. But focusing for a minute just on healthcare, I think we're really trying to expand that scope as we look to the fall and potentially even earlier to not just involve hospitals, but really looking at the entire ecosystem and what assets we have, whether it's community clinics or ambulatory surgical centers, uh, physician groups, how do we actually bring everyone in um, in a way that allows us to both address um, surges from COVID and also not get ourselves in the same situation of um, deferred and delayed care, which I think I, I fear will have significant consequences, particularly for vulnerable populations where I think some of those gaps, just like in the education sector and economic sector, may never be closed for some groups. Yeah. Um, so really being proactive about addressing those. I mean, on the private sector, I think it's also been interesting and, and heartening. There have been so many 
companies that have reached out to the administration to pivot their core work in service of the pandemic, whether it's by producing PPE or converting ventilators or trying to, you know, create apps to to do contact tracing and help with occupational tracking and, and being able to reopen businesses. It's a little challenging sometimes because we have so many people approaching us. It's hard to figure out how to coordinate all that. I will say that there's another group, and I'll just pivot for a second, yeah. of folks who have approached us about wanting to support things philanthropically. And I think there, what would be really helpful is to be willing to come together and pool our resources. Alice, I know you you focus primarily on on public health and keeping all of us in California healthy, but there are economic concerns about uh, the pandemic. Um, how does California balance those concerns, and how have you been tackling those questions with the governor's task force and others? You know, I, that's an area I have not been intimately involved with, but what I can say is it is absolutely front and center. I mean, it is even from the very beginning. And I think even when you talk to someone like Sarah Cody in Santa Clara, who really was the person who sounded the alarm, there's, there was a clear understanding that you're balancing, it's not health versus economy. It's really because in, in many ways, economy is health, right? We know that, you know, loss of jobs, you know, elimination of generational wealth, particularly for lower income folks who are just getting a toehold into the middle class has potentially long-term repercussions in terms of their health and well-being and mortality even. And so I think from the very beginning, it was one primary focus was to avoid the hospital surge that we saw in Italy and New York. With that said, like as soon as we realized we'd avoided that, it was a very hard pivot to how do we, um, again, open up the economy, make sure that the kids get education, that our small businesses aren't particularly impacted in a way that's responsible. And so I think that's been the discussion very early on. And I think you'll see that is the underlying you know, principle and framework is how do we actually do this in a responsible way, knowing that there is no perfect way and there is no ability to, it's all about harm reduction. There is no way to actually prevent 100% transmission insofar as we have people um, out and about mobile in society and, and interacting. Right. Well, and, and one of the things you and I have talked about, and, and one of the things that worries me a lot, and I know you too, is the inequality and the health inequities that are revealed by this pandemic. And the jobs data actually just came out today. And we have the same kind of economic inequities. I mean, we know that African Americans have been hit hardest by COVID, but we know today that those who identify as Hispanic have an unemployment rate that is many points higher than the average as a result of this crisis. What's California doing? What are you doing about these inequities? And, and what are your worries there? My biggest worry is that this doesn't stay front and center because clearly, obviously in the context of George Floyd and all of the protests and kind of um, societal attention to disparities writ large, I think there is an opening here, but I think we do need to be able to translate it into structural change. It's no surprise to any, you, you know, we work together in the San Francisco safety net and it's yeah. no surprise to anybody who has um, worked in a safety net setting or paid attention to kind of the contours of healthcare, certainly here in California, where a third of people are covered by Medi-Cal, that we have deep disparities that we're just 
on edge. And so COVID really tipped it over in, in so many different ways. And I think um, the infection rate among Latinx populations in particular, but the mortality rates in African-Americans you know, Native American communities, Pacific Islander American communities, the, at least in San Francisco, a disproportionate number of um, Chinese American immigrants. From the very early stages of the pandemic, we were looking at the data uh, broken down by race and ethnicity and realized, uh, and actually I reached out to you about this, is that um, our data systems weren't capturing this, right? And so the first order of business is actually even knowing how bad the disparities are. Right. We, we suspected from the get go that this is how it would play out, just given um, who essential workers are and kind of the underlying comorbidities in different communities. But it's important to have that data in order to be able to target different communities. I think in terms of some of the interventions, many of the initiatives that have been stood up, whether it's Project Room Key or Great Plates or even the testing sites that we've put out have really had a lens of how do we make sure our most vulnerable are served. I hope so. And it's grateful for all the work you're doing. Alice, I I might close by asking the question I ask everybody. If you had all the time, money, influence in the world to change U.S. healthcare, what's the one thing you'd do? You know, if I had a magic wand, you know, I'd take the 18% of GDP that we spend in healthcare and frankly redirect a lot of it to poverty reduction and early childhood investment. Because we actually don't need all the healthcare that we have, right? If we actually had more of a social compact, if we actually really focused on, you know, prevention and and keeping populations healthy, I think that would be the better ROI, frankly. Yeah, if we spent a a little more time and money taking care of each other, we'd probably spend a lot less having to fix each other. Yes, Yeah. exactly. Well, Dr. Alice Chen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for everything you're doing for California. I'm very grateful and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Renewed spread in some parts of the country, including California, makes it clear that we have a long way to go. However, we are more equipped than ever before to handle the ravages of the disease. Armed with analytical tools, including Oliver Wyman's own pandemic navigator, we can help identify trends early and build our intelligence on the way the virus advances. We have more lessons to learn before the threat of COVID-19 is behind us. But the ground covered since January has shown that if we are committed, we have the capacity to save lives and livelihoods. I'm Eric Gustafson, and thank you for listening to the Marsha McLennan Advantage.